Hello, and welcome to How We Got Here, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the current state of gun violence that has impacted Chicago. In this episode, host Maggie Bixkowski sits down with Diane Latiker of Kids Off the Block and Antonio Davis of Paving the Way. Their organizations work all day trying to engage young people at risk for gun violence. They will ask the burning question, are these organizations really impactful? You're seeing young people being mentored, um, being taught by traumatized people. And they're traumatized. They come from homes that are traumatized. And then we say, well, why are they doing? Well, they mimic what's around them. The environment teaches them. Just like the gangs are in the in the community and the men who work like the doctors and the lawyers, the policemen, the teachers, they're not in the community. So every other corner they're seeing men who, who are either in gangs driving um, big box Chevys with new gym shoes on or else they're seeing the, the, the pawpaw who's drunk, drunk every day, who's at the next corner, or they're seeing men like Antonio who are trying to help, but they're battling the other men who are trying to recruit the young people to, to do bad stuff. So the kids are confused. They're traumatized. They're confused when you sit down. And for the last month and a half, we've sat down with 30 of them. We've been sitting down with them for, for two days a week and just talking about health disparities. And one of the main ones is stress. Because everybody's coming at them, but they're coming at them from their own trauma, if if that makes sense. They're coming, there is no end to it, the trauma. So, and these young people are saying, they're sitting there looking at you like, um, you don't understand, but you do understand, but they think you don't. Of course, kids have always thought parents didn't understand. But now they think people in the community don't understand either because they can't handle trauma. We, I don't even know if I can handle trauma. So who are we to tell them to handle the daily killing of their, their friends, their classmates, their families, the shootings, um, everything that's going on in the world. Now the world is in their household. Every day, they see politicians who they thought used to be this hierarchy that took care of everybody. They don't see that anymore. They see them now being violently attacked, talking to each other like on the street. Where's government? Where's our police department? Who they see now on TV, all these killings of us or them. It's trauma on top of trauma. And then we say, don't pick up a gun. Go home, learn, do something with your life. How can we even tell them that when we haven't dealt with their trauma? And how do we deal with their trauma when we're traumatized? Mine has affected my health towards my eyes. I didn't hear this suppression and shield up so long that I can't cry. And Having the guys and my uncles and them saying, you better not cry. You know, hitting you constantly saying, you better not cry. You better not let tears out. I have to, I go to the eye doctor 
and my eyes are so dry, I wear contacts. So they say I have to use artificial tears to moisten my eyes because they're so dry. Um, it's like trauma like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like I tell people a lot, you know, I don't have a turn-off switch when it comes to this work. Um, I have to physically leave the city and turn everything off to get away. Um, because doing this work in the community and then going home where I stay at, it's the same trauma and the same violence going on. So like when I think I'm, I'm coming off a shift and then I go home and lay in the bed, then shots rang out. Um, you know, you hear people hollering and, you know, it's just an ongoing thing. And so I have to have these conversations with my kids every day when they come in, come home from school. Why is there shootings over here? Why, when I got out of school, there was a body across the street? Why inside our building, there was blood trails going up the steps? Um, you know, this past two weeks, we didn't had a mass shooter. Two days after that, we didn't had two teens uh, shot one killed, and then we just had a young lady um, just last night shot and killed um, outside our complex. And so I'm fighting with the complex, I'm fighting with the city, I'm fighting with uh, management to say, hey, what, what can we do? What can the residents respond to? And they say the, the residents won't talk to us. They, they won't talk to us, and it's because, why they don't talk to you is because, guess what? We sitting in meetings, and then you tell them, oh, what's your address? What's your apartment number? All that information goes back to those guys that's mm -hmm. causing the trouble there. So they don't, they don't want to speak to you. Then on Zoom, it's the same thing, right? You have sometimes the security in cahoots with the guys, right? So it's like... No matter what you do, they're, they're scared. They don't have no outlet. They've been having a, a Parkway Task Force meeting every Wednesday since last September. I just found out about it at, your, at, at the Expo Planning meeting. No residents are on there, but the mayor's office, the, the, uh, the chief of uh, police, all of them are on this call and talking about how to bring services to Parkway, but no residents are on this call. And so management's been on this call and they just been going and going and saying how they created these new gates and key cards and all this stuff. And so when I get on the call, they jump off. Yeah, they jump off. They haven't been on the call since, since I joined the call. And that was, uh, that was the week after the expo uh, meeting. And I was telling them things like that, telling the city official what's going on. And they was like, oh, but we got Project Hood there. That's our community partner. Mm -hmm. Say, so, okay, but Project Hood don't respond to everything. But you have Jennifer Maddock that has the pulse. She has the pulse of Parkway Gardens. And y'all don't fund her. Y'all don't give her no type of resources, no nothing. It's, it, you'll let an outside entity come in and host an event. But then when paving the way in future tasks, trying to do something, you give us a hard time. And we're doing actual work. And I'm a resident there, right? Um, it's a problem. You got to go through all these channels and everything. Mm -hmm.
kids as young as they are being shot down in school. Mm-hmm. And so they're doing drills in case the shooter comes in. So in the midst of learning, of trying to learn, they're being traumatized again. And then they come out into the community and there's trauma mm-hmm. to get home. Yeah. And then they get home and what do they hear? Ambulances, police cars. Yeah. I'm, I'm dealing with that situation now. Like, um, our kids' school is trauma, right? Trauma, their environment, they're fighting every day, the bullying that spiked up. Um, we just had an incident where my 10 year old daughter, she was being bullied and felt like she didn't have the resources at the school and stuff. So she told them she wanted to kill herself. And so um, it was a shocker. It was a shocker to me that it had got to that point where um, I came and got her and they how they treated it at the school was like, um, yeah, just go take her to the hospital, get her evaluated. Um, she was out of school almost two weeks, no schoolwork, no nothing. And I'm calling the school like, hey, what's going on? Can I bring her back? No, she got to get that evaluation first. Well, you told me it wasn't that important. Just book an appointment, you know. And so got her evaluated, got her evaluated. She talked to the doctors and everything. Um, and their response was kicking uh, kicking her out of her class that she was comfortable in, but the bullying was happening and putting her in another class. We had to call the district to even get an appointment with the principal there. Because every time we came, they their 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 staff was programmed to say principal is not available. Principal is not available. And so I called the district. The district called the principal. And within 10 minutes of that call, the principal called us and like, oh, we I can be with you ne- next day. What services do you need? What right? I mean, I think it's the school system. I, I think you didn't get to a point where you're dealing with trauma kids. You're dealing with all these problems. You have teachers. Um, some teachers are. It's like not like old school teachers. You have young teachers there that's probably just coming straight out of <laughs> CPS, right? Um, don't want to deal with the kids, and so it's just a lot from um, lack of jobs, right? If I got a background. And I don't know that I still got stuff on my background from when I was a teenager. And I'm trying to apply for a job. I can't do it. So I don't know anything about expungement, right? I don't know anything about um, the work environment, how to dress, how to come to the interview. I don't know in a couple of years I got these tattoos on my face. I can't go sit in front of somebody that's offering me a job and they already looking at me like I'm a game member. Or an ex gamer, right? So I mean, it's it's a lot of internal stuff when it comes to these communities and what's happening in the city today. I was born and raised in the Robert Taylor homes um, with my mom, my grandma, auntie, whole family. Can you tell us what for people listening? Tell us what the Robert Taylor. Homes so the Robert Taylors was the uh, our urban project from uh, what's that forty third to fifty fifth? Yeah, yeah, fifty first, yeah. Um, a very urban setting, um, so much violence that, you know, they had to put a police station in 
inside the complex. Um, not only Chicago police, but housing created a, a police department as well that was in the complex. Um, so I was a kid, grew up without my dad, um, getting jumped on every day, going to and from school. So school was like maybe a minute or so. So they were jumping on me every day. They wanted me to join the gang. Um, I really didn't understand it because I'm like, my dad was the big game banger, you know, big game leader in his building. So I wasn't understanding why this was happening to me um, and why he wasn't in my life. Um, and so one day, um, going to school, I, I used to watch wrestling a lot. Um, I turned around in front of the building. The big guys were standing there. And I turned around and I started wrestling with the guys that kept jumping on me. <laughs> and so, you know, I was slamming them and, and, and things like that. And so the big guys stood up and they was like, okay, he with us now. Because I guess because I fought back. Um, and so I started doing stuff, delivering stuff, like not knowing, you know, what it was, but I knew the jump on had stopped, right? Um, and so eventually I, I, I found myself doing the exact same thing to other kids, right? It's just, uh, it's just the nature of it, right? Um, but I always had this, like, this heart, like if you caught on our territory, I was always gave you like a pass, or, you know, they jumping on somebody so bad that I will stop it and let them go. And so my guys didn't understand that. Like, why are you doing this? You supposed to keep going and, you know, things like that. So, like, when I got in trouble the last time, I was on my way going to jail um, when I was in high school. And so that's why I found Pastor Watkins. Um, my grandfather was working at the church with him. Um, they came up and spoke uh, spoke up for me in court and brought me to the church. And so I've been at that church ever that since. Church. Greater Bethesda Church. I've been there ever since. Um, and so I had bad experience with police. I couldn't stand the police, you know, and all that. And so we wind up having this conversation around the youth and bringing the police together. So this forum brought a judge, the alderman, um, a B officer, and then they used to have this type of conversation. How do you get um, how do you get safe when you uh, when you're trying to get home with both interactions so that the youth can understand what the officers are going through and the officers can understand what the youth are going through with this situation. And so uh, it was funny when when we did these type of forums and conversations and then I started getting on police boards and district advisory boards and things like that. And it was crazy because I seen some of the officers that used to jump on me and do stuff to me. And now I'm in the back. I'm going in the back with them, you know, going in the back with and, and you well, know. Have, tell us about those meetings when you saw them. Yeah, they were, they were shocked to see me back there. And um, I think even like some of my school teachers and stuff, because my school teachers told me I wasn't going to make it to 16. That's how Your terrible I was. Yeah, because I was just terrible. I didn't, you know, I didn't care about anything because I was so angry um, and I didn't know how to express that. Um, and so being on the district advisory board and and talking with like the superintendent and, and things like that, these are conversations I never thought I would have. Um, 
And then I got my license to be a security guard. So now I'm wearing a badge. <laughs> and so, you know, the youth, some of the youth I work with and some of the guys I used to hang out with, like, oh, you wanted the ops, you wanted them now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just try to take that experience and give back to the community what I took from them. And so that's why my heart is in Washington Park because I grew up in Washington Park. And I did a lot of damage um, to the people in Washington Park. So that's why I always try to um, give back to, you know, give back what I took from them. Um, and so I, I don't ever try to make an excuse because I feel like I owe them. So that's why I, I, I have a hard time saying no to some projects. And I, I say yes to everything. And my wife like, you're going to kill yourself trying to do all this stuff. Um, but I think the internal instance for me is because, like I said, I, I feel like I took a lot and damaged a lot of people in Washington Park. So that's why my heart is in Washington Park. And then I started paving the way in 2014 um, as a way of giving back to the community. Um, and so we did the, uh, we created these forms and then we also started the cool down. And so the cool down was in response to the kids. They were fighting with each other and carnivals don't come into Washington Park. Um, and so they were telling me like, hey, I'm living on this side. I can't go to the park district and go to the swimming pool. I can't go to the basketball court because that's another territory. So I created this community carnival in response to that. And I said, yeah, well, y'all got to stop the violence. Y'all can't be fighting or anything. And I bring anything y'all want into this, this street because where we located, we right in the middle of the uh, block. And so um, that, started, that started with uh, 50 to 75 people in attendance. And now we didn't got it up to almost 400 plus people attend every year. Um, and then we started, uh, we did breakfast with Santa. So Santa didn't come to the ghetto, right? So, <laughs> so I started uh, going to uh, hospitals where the kids were sick and I'd dress up as Santa and come grab gifts. I was not always welcome, um, but I kept doing it for a couple of years. And then I started doing it around the neighborhood. And then eventually we put it in one location and had the families come. Um, all the way up until the pandemic. And then we started doing the, the Christmas grab and go to keep it going. So the whole house started about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. We were invited to Waukegan, well, Wisconsin, to a retreat. And we found out about the cop house. It was, that's what it was called, the cop house. Mm -hmm. They have 10 of them. We visited five. What are cop houses? Cop houses, the the police in the in that district <coughs> partners with up to four organizations in that same district. Mm -hmm. They buy a house, abandoned building, and they renovate it. And it becomes the community center for that that area. But it has the police department inside, and then it has like. Um, what do you call the safety net? Like different organizations that can provide different resources. And I was so amazed at how the police were getting along with the community because of it, you know, and the organizations were thriving because they came together, you know, and offered these services. And the, the people were just in and out, young people, old people, 
you know, they were coming, they needed this, they needed that. The police were acting with them, you know. And I said, wow, this would be good. So, David, we all came back, and then we met a month later at the U.S. Bank. And he said, how would you all like to be a part of doing that here? I was the first one to raise my hand. (laughs) Bring us together. Give us a house so we can offer these resources. And um, I said, but I have one issue. (laughs) Please don't call the cop house. Can we vote on a name? <laughs> like Hope House. <laughs> and we did. And, and that's how it became the Hope House. I'm super excited. Yeah. Well, finally, we'll have a space. A real space. Instead of my home, you know. Yeah. And a lot across the street. <laughs> Thanks for listening to How We Got Here. For more information on the podcast and our guests, please feel free to follow us online at stridesforpeace.org. We'll see you next time.